anxiety is real and it can grab a hold of your life in a very powerful way. So what a great opportunity for you to say to your kid, I'm in this with you for the long haul. Mm -hmm. I am standing next to you. I'm holding your hand. I'm praying for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to let you know you're not alone. Hey friends, welcome to the Hope and Help Project, the podcast that cultivates compassionate biblical conversations about life's challenging problems. I'm your host, Christine Chaplin. I'm so thankful you're here to join in on today's conversation with author and speaker, Jessica Thompson. Today, we'll be talking about the topic of anxiety in the teenage years and Jessica's brand new book, How to Help Your Anxious Teen, Discovering the Surprising Sources of Their Worries and Fears. We'll discuss the main influencing factors that can fuel our teens' experience of anxiety, some of the unhelpful ways parents approach handling their teenagers' worries, and how the gospel of Jesus Christ offers parents and teens alike the grace necessary to walk through seasons of anxiety with assurance and hope. If this is your first time listening to the show, be sure to learn more about the Hope and Help Project by visiting faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. The link is posted in the show description, and by visiting that page, you can learn all about the mission of the podcast. Before we get started, let me introduce you to our guest. Jessica Thompson has authored or co-authored several books, including the bestseller, Give Them Grace. A popular conference speaker and guest blogger, Jessica grew up in Southern California, where she and her husband of 22 years have raised their three kids. Hey, Jessica, thanks so much for joining us today. I am so excited to be on. Thank you for having me. I was so excited to hear about your new book, How to Help Your Anxious Teen. And Mm -hmm. your goal in that book is really to help parents understand that our children's anxieties can be impacted by you know, some major factors such as society, family, church, and even their own broken thinking. Can you expand a little bit on those influencing factors and why we as parents need to be more mindful of them when we're approaching a plan to help our child? When I started writing the book, I was really praying and seeking the Lord and and reading my Bible and and trying to figure out, reading uh, reading a lot of books on anxiety, trying to figure out what are some general themes that parents can be looking out for, that parents have questions on, that teens are actually struggling with. So the first thing I came up with would obviously be society, Um, what's going on around us every single day, what's going on in the world, in news, in our kids' lives, social media, those types of things. And then the next thing I thought is, well, where are our majority of our teens spending the second most amount of time? Mm-hmm. Um, so not at, if not at school, if not in society, then um, it would also be in the church. How is the church contributing to our teens' anxiety? I think the church should be a place that takes away our teens' anxiety. Right. But unfortunately, I think a lot of times the church adds to it. And then I, I also thought about, okay, our relationships with our teens as parents or as caretakers, as youth workers, um, are we doing anything to contribute to our teens' anxiety? So I looked at that. And then lastly, I looked at just how a teen's own thinking could contribute to their anxiety. See, anxiety is on the rise in society today. It has passed depression as the number one thing that teens, kids go to counseling for now is anxiety. It's no longer depression. It is now anxiety. So what are the influencing factors that have that have taken anxiety and elevated it past depression as the things our kids suffer from? And parenting an anxious teen is something I know we both have experience yeah. in. And it's yeah. tempting to 
respond to a child's difficulties with anxiety with impatience or with yeah. an unkind attitude, you know? Yeah. And we have a really hard time sometimes being sympathetic with them and thinking yes. that, you know, maybe their problem doesn't really exist. It's all in their head. They're being too right. dramatic. Or we can go and swing to the other extreme and believe that their problem, you know, is just a quick, a quick and easy solve. We can fix right. it with, a, you know, a few lifestyle tweaks, some medication right. or some spiritual right. adjustments. Well, why right. do you think that parents are so prone to turn their children into fix-it projects instead of treating them as hurting souls who need compassionate care? What are some of the pitfalls to be leery of as a result? of these responses? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think you're absolutely right. It, it's sometimes so much easier for us just to Google how to deal with a kid or uh, talk to a friend or just slap a quick fix on something. Like you said, children are, children are souls to be loved, not problems to be fixed. And I think part of it is we really don't trust God. Yeah. We want to just do something and be done with it. And it can be inconvenient. And we hate inconvenience mm -hmm. in our lives. I think not only do we hate inconvenience, but we hate being faced with someone else's brokenness. Mm -hmm. We hate to know that in reality, we're all very weak. We like to believe that we're strong. We like to believe that our kids are strong. And so if my kid is struggling, I'm going to give him ABC and I'm going to have him fix it. And then we're all going to be fine. Instead of believing the truth about what the Bible says, which is no, 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 actually you are incredibly weak. Um, you are actually desperately weak. So weak, in fact, that God himself had to come and live a perfect life in your place and die for the forgiveness that you are desperate for. So I think as parents, we are driven by looking strong. We're driven by our kids looking strong. We hate inconvenience. We hate weakness. And we don't want to see it in our kids either. So I think a lot of our identity as parents is tied up in how our kids are doing. Right. So if my kids are doing great, then I must be a good parent my kids suffering from anxiety, then I'm a failure. And when our identity is tied up in our kids' performance, in, instead of our identity being tied up in the finished work of Jesus Christ, when our identity is tied up in our kids' performance, oh, we are going to have a real hard time when they struggle, because we're going to think it's all our fault. Absolutely. And I think you really touched on that well in the book. And you called out what you were just talking about, our disdain of being normal. Yeah. In one of your chapters, you write that the desire to be the best, to own the best things, or have the best time is in all of us. And it has the mm -hmm. tendency to become a motivating factor in all we do. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I believe that parents do play a role and I would admit as well, even me and my own teenager's yeah. anxiety um, in fueling this fire because we want our children to strive to fulfill their potential. And right. we imagine all the wonderful ways the Lord might use their gifts and their talents in the future, almost as if, and this was really convicting for me, almost as if we are subconsciously preaching the prosperity gospel yeah. to our children in yeah. order to motivate them into excellence. So even mm -hmm. as parents, there's this palpable disdain of our normalcy or mediocrity. Yeah. And what ways has this mindset negatively impacted our children and how can the gospel of Jesus Christ offer anxious teens peace and rest from this perfectionistic attitude? Right. So you're exactly right. This disdain of being normal. If we're teaching our kids that their identity, who they are at their core, rests on their performance, they are either going to end up proud. And you know what? We see a lot of that in the church. 
we see a lot of kids who are always telling on everybody. Um, we see a lot of kids who are angry a lot because other people aren't pulling their weight. So we see that. We see this sort of pride, angry attitude, or we see this other attitude that is depression or anxiety. It's really the two different sides of the same coin. I think my performance equals my identity. I'm either going to be proud because I'm pulling it off or I'm going to be depressed and anxious because I'm not. Mm -hmm. And so when parents are teaching their kids or pushing them uh, beyond what is normal or uh, when parents' identity is wrapped up in the kids, we're going to be doing the same thing, right? So we're either going to be proud when our kids are doing well or anxious and depressed when our kids are not. So what we need to be doing, what we need to be teaching our children instead is that Christ takes all of our failures and gives us his perfect record. See, it's no longer about our performance. Our performance isn't what makes us acceptable to God. Christ's performance on our behalf is what makes us acceptable to God. And you talked about like, oh, we want our kids to, you know, become these amazing Christians who love Jesus and do amazing things. And Yes, we all have that tendency to want to, you know, push our kids to be everything they're supposed to mm -hmm. be. But Ephesians 2.10 talks about walking in the good works that God has prepared for us to do. So what do we want our kids to do? We just want them to walk in the good works that God has already prepared for them. And when we think about it as these are all good works that God's already prepared for them to do, like he's already made the way for them to do them, then it's not resting on their performance. It's resting on the fact that God has already prepared them to do these things. And then, again, we have such a disdain for normalcy in our society, and I think there's a lot of contributing factors to that. Social media, I mean, like we want to brag about our kids constantly, and I'm guilty of that as well. <laughs> and, and most of the time what we're bragging about is their performance. We're not even talking about who they are as a person. It's a lot of times like, oh, well, you know, captain of the football team and, you know, mm -hmm. head cheerleader and did great at their recital, listen to them. Like nothing's wrong with being excited about those things. But when we place so much importance on those things that they become crushing weights to our kids and when they fail at those things and you feel depressed or anxious yourself, that's when you know you've made them an idol. That's when you know that those things are too important in your life. And as you place that pressure on your teens, oh, of course they're going to feel it too. They're mm. going to become more anxious. They're going to become more depressed. They're going to think that their performance is everything. So my encouragement to parents of teens is that their identity doesn't rest on their performance and neither does yours. Their identity, your identity rests in Christ's perfect performance for them. So take a step back and, and think about that when you're watching your kid do the things that they do, um, when you're watching them even fail. Remember that their performance is not what ultimately defines them. God can use this season of anxiety as an opportunity to develop a discipleship relationship with our team that maybe hasn't existed up until this point. Can Absolutely. You, can you explain why it is important to be mindful of our team's spiritual maturity, especially as it pertains to using the word of God to minister to them for the purposes of, you know, renewing thoughts and strengthening their faith and trust in God? I think you need to have a relationship with your child, with your teen, that they can say to you, I don't even know what I believe. Mm. They need to be able to say that to you without you freaking out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they need to be able to say that to you without you condemning them or flying off the handle at them or pretending that they didn't say it. That would be another tactic. <laughs> uh, you need to hear your teen um, when they tell you things like that. 
And when your teen says to you something like, I don't even know what I think about God or, or religious matters or Christianity, um, you need to say to them something along the lines of, thank you so much for being honest with me. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate that. And I can tell you that there are days when I don't even know what I think. <laughs> um, there are days when I'm not even sure what's going on in my own head. So when you shame a kid for being honest about it, or you get angry at a kid for being honest about it, again, you're not trusting in God's work and you're going to place more anxiety on your teen. So create an atmosphere in your home where you're admitting your failures, where you're admitting your lack of faith at times. Be real, because I'm pretty sure everybody listening to this podcast has had doubts. And if you haven't, you must be Jesus. Um, (laughs) That's great for you. You've got Jesus listening to your podcast. (laughs) Be honest with your teen about your own doubts. I think that's a great starting place with this. And then I think Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I reasoned like a child. I did childish things. Don't expect your teen to have the same maturity that you do spiritually, emotionally. They don't expect them to act like a teenager whose brain is honestly out of whack right now Mm -hmm. (laughs) and emotions are going crazy. So what should you expect from your teen spiritually for them to be immature? Right. I mean, there are, there are teens out there that just have crazy amounts of faith. And I'm not saying look down on your teen. I'm just saying be reasonable. Understand that they're teenagers and they're going to fluctuate. Um, they're human beings. So I think, again, creating this atmosphere of grace where it's like, oh, is that where you're at, honey? Here's the crazy good news. It doesn't depend on your spiritual maturity for God to help you. What it depends on is his love for you, and that's never ending. So I think coming to our teens in that way, being able to be aware of where they're at spiritually, and then like you said, taking it as an opportunity instead of an inconvenience, an opportunity to be able to share the good news of the gospel with them over and over and over again, praying for opportunity. I mean, when your kid comes to you with anxiety or a weakness, like we talked about earlier, a lot of times we want to dismiss it. We want to fix it so we don't have to deal with it anymore. But what a great opportunity to partner with your child. What a great opportunity. Anxiety isn't something they can just get over. First of all, we, we should have said that. I should have said that early on. Anxiety is real and it it can grab a hold of your life in a very powerful way. So I think what a great opportunity for you to say to your kid, I'm in this with you for the long haul. Mm -hmm. I am standing next to you. I'm holding your hand. I'm praying for you. I'm going to do whatever it takes to let you know you're not alone in this. Some of the pressures our teens face come from within the church, and you talked about that earlier in our interview. Mm -hmm. You write in your book that we are crushing our kids with a theology of glory, a theology that says God is impressed with our big works, a theology that says God only pays attention to the flashy, to the productive, and those of us who are extra. Why Mm -hmm. is the church struggling to practice what it preaches when it comes to the expectations and pressures that are being put on its young people? And how do the scriptures answer our skewed theology of glory. Right. So let me just explain a little bit about what I mean by theology of glory. So we talked about that in that quote, theology of glory means God is only glorified in the big good things we do. 
right? So there's this theology of glory that says God only gets glory when we look amazing. Hmm. And then there's this other thing that the, the flip side of that is called the theology of the cross. And it's like, no, God's glorified in our death. God's glorified in the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's actually glorified in our weakness because in our weakness is where he gets to show himself strong. And I think the problem is with youth ministries, um, and I and I think we see it a lot in the church even, is like we might hear a sermon that talks about cast your anxiety on the Lord, but then at the end of the sermon in the application point points, it talks about like, now get over your anxiety, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And we do the same thing in our youth groups as well. And I think a lot of that is because we believe in upward mobility. We believe in we got to work our way up to getting better. We got to work our way up to God. And the truth of the gospel is no, God came down to us. God met us in our weakness. God comes to us in our anxiety. God comes to us when we're at the end of our rope. Um, There's this great quote that it's God's office is actually at the end of our rope. That's where he sets up his office, Mm, (laughs) right at the end of our rope, right? So the, the, the times where we feel the most undone, the weakest, that's where God's like, yes, right here, right in this place where you're embarrassed, where you feel shame, right here, this is where I love you. This is where I'm setting up my office. This is where I'm going to commune with you. And I think a lot, again, a lot of it is we don't trust God to actually work in our teens' lives. We think they need God and a motivation speaker. Mm. We need, think they need God and to somehow go out and do all these good works. And really, it's it's Jesus plus nothing. It's just him. What your teens need is Jesus. What they need is the good news of what he's done for them. That's what you need too. But see, we don't think that either. We think in order for me to be a good Christian, I need to be doing good things. And he's like, listen, I I can't remember who said it. And I'm so bummed that I can't write the second. But there's a quote that says, God doesn't really care about your good days or your bad days. God loves you right where you're at because you're covered in the perfect work of the sun. You're hidden in Christ. God doesn't pay attention to the days where you read your Bible and you're amazing and you do all the good things. And he doesn't pay attention to the days where you fail and are horrible at everything. How? Why? Because you're hidden in Christ. What God pays attention to is the perfect work of Jesus Christ. See, but we don't we don't like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because then it's not up to us at all. And and we hate that. Like we want we want to be like, yeah, I need God, but I'm also pretty amazing as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. We I, I I I'm a Christian and I'm also pretty great. Look at all the good things I do. But instead just to throw ourselves on the mercy of God and say, look, I have nothing to bring here. All I have is what God has done for me through Christ. See, that is where God gets glory. Absolutely. God doesn't get glory in the points where we think we're pulling it off because we're probably proud there. Right. God gets glory in the moments of our weakness when we just say, ah, oh, uh, you're all I have and you're all I need. And that's enough. I was really surprised while I was reading your book that you actually touched on the topic of helicopter parenting. I didn't yeah. expect that in a, an anxiety book for teens, mm. but it totally mm-hmm. makes sense. And there may be yeah. parents listening today who are willing to admit that they fall into such a category. Perhaps they've tried to order and control their children's lives 
to mm. such a degree that it has negatively impacted their child's life or even the entire climate of the family home. Can mm-hmm. you explain what it means to be a helicopter parent and what some of the dangers are, and then maybe how we might begin to change that if we realize we are one? Right. So let me just explain what a helicopter parent is. I, I know it's it's kind of become common in, in the way we talk now, but uh, a, that's a parent who takes this sort of overprotective or excessive interest in the children, uh, in the children in their life. Um, let me give you a couple examples of this. Uh, as I was reading on anxiety, this was one of the number one things that people said cause anxiety in your kids, which is so uh, opposite of what we think. Like we think, oh, if I just do everything for my kids, they'll be fine. They won't feel any anxiety at all. Mm. But actually the exact opposite is happening. I read this story of a a kid who was a brilliant, super smart, um, was on a college tour with her parents at an Ivy League school, had gotten into the school, and the parent and the teen were walking around. The story comes from a professor, and the professor saw them and saw that they had like badges on and came over and talked to them. And as the professor was trying to interact with this college-age kid, a freshman coming into college, again, brilliant, super smart kid, the parent kept answering all the questions. Even as the professor was coming up and trying to talk to the teen specifically, the professor's trying to ask the teen questions. Uh, Even as the teen would answer, the teen would be looking at the parent for approval the whole time. Am I saying the right thing? And you could just tell the teen was shrinking back during the whole conversation. So there's this example of a parent who is answering all the questions for the kids, trying to make the kids look smart etc., so on and so forth. And there's this other example that they talked about. Uh, They did this study with a bunch of kids who suffered from anxiety and kids who didn't suffer from anxiety. They put them in a room and they said, here's a bunch of puzzles. Complete, these are younger kids. Complete as many of these puzzles as you can in 10 minutes. They told the parents, you can help, but you're not encouraged to. Doesn't matter, okay? What happened with the kids who experienced anxiety? The parents of those kids touched the puzzles significantly more than the parents of the kids who didn't experience anxiety. Hmm. So these parents think that they're trying to help, trying to show the kids where the puzzle pieces go, but really what they're doing in that moment, what they're doing with their kids, they're taking away from them an ability to learn how to do things on their own. And when you don't have an ability to learn how to do things on your own, when you don't feel confident in your own ability to do things on your own, then when you're out in the world and you have to do something on your own, how are you going to feel? When you don't have someone showing you where the puzzle pieces go and you've had that your whole life, what are you going to feel when that's gone? Anxious. And I think parents a lot of times, <laughs> I think there's there's two parts to this. Number one, and I'm going to keep going back to this, we don't trust God with our kids. So The first thing is we don't trust God to take care of our kids when we're out there. And then we think, oh, if I can just give them a little help, they'll be able to do it. I'm going to give them a little more help. They seem like they're struggling. And on and on it goes. I'm going to help them with their homework. I'm going to help them with whatever it is. Uh, They didn't turn that in in time. I'm going to do it for them. Oh, they forgot their homework at home. I'm going to bring it to them every single day of the week. (laughs) When we do this for our kids, we're actually taking away very valuable life lessons for them. Lessons where they learn how to cope 
with solving problems, with problem solving on their own. Um, and, and so the funny thing is, the ironic thing is, and the, and the horrible thing is, the very thing that we're trying to save our kids from, we're pushing them into. Mm-hmm. We're trying to save them from feeling anxious or having any bad feelings, and we're actually pushing them into that. Kids can't function. Kids can't function on their own when all they've ever done and all they've ever known is you doing everything for them and controlling every aspect of their lives. So parents need to hands off for a little bit. Let their kids grow and learn. Well, you know, if we swung to the other side of that pendulum, so we either are smothering our kids by being a helicopter mm-hmm. parent, or maybe we're just totally hands off because we simply don't even yeah. know how to interact with this ball of emotion and teenager yeah. angst. And so we, mm-hmm. we have kind of a distance from them. And so there seems to be the need for cultivating, you know, a happy medium. Like what's in the, what's a middle spot where we can meet, where we can cultivate a fruitful, loving relationship with our teens. And so we know how difficult that can be, but there are times for the sake of wanting to be friends, that we are just too transparent about the events or challenges going on in our life. Mm -hmm. And that transparency can actually lead to increased undue stress on our child. And you talk about this in the book, whether it's finances or relationship problems, employment instability, or some other kind of adulthood challenge, you Mm -hmm. remind us to remember that our teens do not have the same emotional or mental ability to cope with life's problems as we do. So what wisdom does the Bible offer us in this area? How can we balance life with our teens in a way that respects this developmental maturity difference while also fostering an atmosphere of genuine Christian community. Yeah. And let me just say this right off the bat. We're not going to do this right. (laughs) We're not going to do either one of these. We are going to err on either side of this all the time. We're going to err on either trying to be controlling or trying just to be their friend. This is just who we are as parents. But in our always making mistakes, may we always run back to the grace of God. (laughs) May we always not find our performance to be our identity, but may we run back to the grace of God. So for parents who are listening to this and being just like, ugh, well, what can I do then? Uh, You can go to Christ and ask for forgiveness and know that there are new mercies every single day. And remember that you're not going to get this right. You won't ever. I think for me, I err more on the side of of just being my kids' friends. Mm. Uh, This is definitely, and and I, so I have a 20-year-old son, an 18-year-old son, and a 15, almost 16-year-old daughter. And I love these teenage years. I love them so much. I love them more than I loved having little kids. Everybody's like, oh, treasure the little years. And I'm like, I hated those years. (laughs) I I am treasuring these years where I get to hang out with my kids and they're fun. And I think they're like, love watching them grow and the way that they reason. And, uh, you know, I want to hang out with my kids all the time. Yeah, they love that a lot, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) So for me, what I have to do is remember over and over again, this is not just my friend. (laughs) Uh, This is not, even though I love hanging out with the kids and I think that they're super cool, they probably don't think the same thing about me, first of all. But these are, these kids are, like I said earlier, like they're children. They reason as children. And I can't bring to them all of my problems. My desire would be to be very transparent with my kids about how I struggle so that I'm creating this sort of atmosphere of grace. Mom's not perfect. I screw up all the time. But in my in my desire to create an atmosphere of grace, I also have to be very careful and remember that they are just children. They are just kids. Even my 20-year-old, um, there are things about my life that he doesn't need to know <laughs> and he shouldn't know. It's not good for him to know. 
So I think remembering, trying to find, like you said, and, and balance is a tough word because I don't think we can ever do it, but mm-hmm. try to find this sort of a, a middle ground where I am being transparent about my struggles, but I'm also not laying them on my children because they will feel the weight of it. They will want to help if you have a good relationship with them or, or if they're that kind of kid, they will want to help you. And it's too much for them. I was reading another study that talked about kids who were going through divorce and the the problem for kids going, and there's a lot of consequences and there's a lot of problems with that. But one of the main things they talked about was kids who were going through that felt these terrible burdens from their parents, these emotional burdens from their parents. And the parents were trying to tell them what, you know, like what's going on in my life and how this is hurting me. And the kids were crushed by that. The kids felt more anxiety from that. So I think, yes, be transparent with your kids. Talk openly about your struggles, but in a way that shows wisdom in a way that isn't going to make your kids feel like they need to solve their problems for you or they need to um, do something extra for you. Talk to your kids about your problems in a way that shows them that you're trying to trust in God. That would be my encouragement. And then also, as you're talking about the way that you struggle and the things that you struggle with, then you're you're always telling them, oh, honey, but God is better. Jesus is better. He helps me. He provides for me. Be honest about what you're going through, but always pointing to him, always pointing to that he's he's there. He's your hope, not your kids fixing it, um, but that God is your hope. Yeah, I think that's a really okay. great, you know, reminder to us is at the end, if you are going to be transparent and share about something, you know, make it again, another opportunity to share the gospel. This is why, you know, I don't know what's right. going to happen in the next few weeks with our bank account, but this is why you right. know, we, we trust in the Lord because he's faithful to provide and somehow, some way, you know, he's going to handle it. And for today, we're just going to worry about today and we're not going to worry about tomorrow because we'll get there when we get there, you know. And so it's really right. an opportunity to witness our faith yes. with our kids which I think personally will make a very significant impact. Those may be the things that they remember decades down the road where your family was going through a hardship and they say, mom, you know, I don't remember a whole lot about that time, but I remember how you trusted Jesus through it and how encouraging that was to me when I laid my head on the pillow to go to bed at night or whatever it is. Um, We can't, we can't underestimate planting those seeds, how that, how God will use that in the future. You know, a phrase that really stood out to me toward the end of your book was, respond to God's giving. That's how we can help our teens fight their anxiety. And it just leapt off the page Mm -hmm. for me. And so I wanted to give you the opportunity to explain what you meant by that statement and how responding to God's giving, so learning how to do Mm -hmm. that, can be helpful for our anxious teens to practice. Yeah. So I... Responding to God's giving means this to me. First John talks about how we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. We are loved. So we are loved by him. He's given us everything. He's given us forgiveness. He's given us a welcome home. He's given us his perfect record. He's given us acceptance. We are adopted. We are loved children. He's given us all of these things. And so how do you help your teen with their anxiety? You respond to what God's already given to you. You don't try to change them. You respond to what God's already given to you. So as you respond to being loved 
as you respond to being forgiven, as you respond to being welcomed despite your performance, you'll be able to do the same thing for your team. You're going to be able to love them on the days where they feel so anxious that they can't, they, they feel like they can't operate. You're going to be able to be patient with them. See, God's given us so many different ways to remember his love for us. He tells us, go outside in Psalm 103, look up. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so high is my love for you. Look from the east to the west. As far as the east is from the west, that's how far I've removed your transgressions from you. Look at the birds look at the flowers they don't they don't toil and look how beautiful they are right these are these verses that talk about how to deal with anxiety in the bible and he's telling us go out and look Hmm. look around you and as you look around you you're going to be able to respond to what he's already given you here's the promise he's given you and he's given to your teens I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'm with you always. My love for you will never stop. Nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ. And as you sit in that, as you learn to respond to that, you'll be able to love your teens in a different way. You'll be able to give them courage, encourage them in a different way. It won't be about stop being anxious. That's not, that's not our message to our anxious kids. They don't want to be anxious. Of course, they don't want to be anxious. Do you think they're enjoying the anxiety? No, they're trying to stop. Our message to our kids isn't stop being anxious. Our message to our kids is remember his love for you. And the only way you can tell your kids that is if you're doing it. The only way that you can tell your kids with uh, any sort of authority or any sort of conviction, respond to God's love for you, is if you're doing that. So for the parents, listen, he's promised to take care of you in the middle of all this. And he's promised that for your teen. So how do you respond to God's love? See, someone once said that the, the hard work of the gospel is not trying to be a better Christian. The hard work of the gospel is to believe it's actually true. So believe it's true for you. Believe you're loved. Believe you're welcomed. And as you believe those things, you'll be able to impart that grace to your kids as well. They need you to believe it. And as you believe it, you're able to help them and encourage them to trust who God is. I'm going to give you the opportunity to do something that all of my guests do on every episode of the show is the opportunity to talk directly to the audience. So Mm -hmm. there may be a parent tuning into this episode who is caring for an anxious teenager. Perhaps Mm -hmm. they have downplayed the seriousness of their teen's anxiety and they're feeling convicted about it, convicted about their lack of compassion, or maybe they have done all they can to do the right Mm -hmm. things to help their child, but the struggle remains long and the recovery process slow. In either case, both parents and teens are feeling helpless and hopeless for change, and they aren't sure God is hearing their prayers for relief. What would you say to that parent to give them the courage to endure and trust God with their teen's battle against anxiety? I would say, listen, um, you are loved, and I am so sorry that you're struggling with this. We struggle with it in my family. I know how difficult it is. I know how debilitating it is. I know how discouraging it is, but you're seen and you're loved. There's no part of your life that isn't seen. There's no struggle that your teen is going through where God doesn't look at it and say, I'm with you even there. Um, I know that you probably feel shame (laughs) either for ignoring it and pretending like it hasn't happened or you feel shame that you can't help your teen 
even though you've done all the right things, listen to me. And please, if if you only hear a part of what we're saying today, I want you to hear this. You're loved. You're forgiven for every parenting failure you've ever committed. You're forgiven. So take that, that sort of relief you feel when you hear those words, you're loved and you're forgiven. Take that to heart. Think about that. And as you think about being loved and forgiven and seen, remember he's with you. Remember that there's nothing that he gives you that he doesn't say to you, um, I'm with you in this. You, you don't need to feel shame about this. You need to just remember that he cares for you. There is no part of your life that he thinks, get your act together. I'm sick of you dealing with that. <laughs> he cares for you in all of this. He says to you, cast your burdens on me. I care for you. Cast your anxieties on me. I care for you. This is the God you serve. He doesn't get fed up with your teen's anxiety. He doesn't get fed up with your failures over and over again. There is no sin that you can commit that outdoes the grace of God. God's grace always outdoes our sin. It's always overpowering it. It's always overwhelming it in a good way. So for parents who are struggling, let me tell you that there is a day coming. We, we may not be able to see our kids free from anxiety here on this earth. That is, that is just the truth. Right. You may not ever see your kids free from anxiety here on this earth. But there is a day coming, friends, <laughs> beloved. There is a day coming when your teen will be free from anxiety. There is a day coming where you will be free from anxiety. And we will finally be home with him where we'll have nothing to be anxious about. We'll see our Father, we'll see our brother, Jesus Christ, who's done everything for us, and we'll be freed from anxiety. So long for that day. Don't long for your kid to be over this thing because it's annoying to you, or even that you're sad for your kid, that this is their, their struggle. Listen, God says that we're all uniquely crafted, and he gives us struggles in our lives so that we lean more fully on him. So even in this, even in this part of your life or your teen's life that feels helpless and hopeless, there is hope, there is help, and it's a God who promises to never leave or forsake you. You're loved, you're forgiven. Those are really incredible words of encouragement. Thank you so much for taking the time to share them. I know that there are people listening who want to get connected with your new book and with your, your ministry in general. Can you tell them where they can go and find out? You've, you've been an author of a number of books, really great yeah. ones that I've read. And so Thanks. it's not just this new book on helping our teens with anxiety, but would you share where they can find out more about your writing ministry? Yeah, of course. So um, I have a website, Jessica Thompson like the easiest name in the world to spell or should be jessicathompson.co um, not com just .co or you can find me on Instagram or Twitter and my screen name is the Jess so T-H-E-J-E-S-S Lou L-O-U listen Jessica Thompson again is the most common name in the world I wasn't trying to be like I am the Jessica <laughs> it's just that every single type of Jessica was taken so Louise is my middle name so the Jess Lou you can find me on Instagram or Twitter well, very good. I will be sure to link to your website and your books Great, in the show you. notes for the podcast to make it easier. So if you are interested in getting connected with Jessica, you can scroll down to the show notes and click the link in the description and you'll be able to access those links very easily. Well, Jessica, thank you again for thank joining you. us today and congratulations yeah. on this week Thanks. that this podcast is airing is the book launch week, which is really exciting. So <laughs> just congratulations on that. And thank, thank you again you. for joining us today. 
Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Before we let you go, I'd like to remind you to visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash project. There you can check out the show notes from today's episode, complete with links to Jessica's books. If you enjoyed today's conversation, I would be so thankful if you left a review for the show on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. Be sure to subscribe to be notified when new weekly episodes release. Also, please don't keep the Hope and Help Project a secret. If you know someone who could be encouraged by listening to this episode, please do them a favor by sharing it. One more thing. If you are looking for gospel hope and help for life's challenging problems, visit faithfulsparrow.com forward slash email. I send my email subscribers weekly biblical counseling resources on rotating topics. From videos, audios, articles, and recommended reading, these emails are designed to equip you to discover gospel hope and help in your own life. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. Be sure to join us next time on the Hope and Help Project.